I uh, have had problems with my iPad for the last couple of weeks. Um, and I went into an Apple expert, as we do, and he said, you have too many apps. <laughs> you have too many apps. My storage, if you like, I had exceeded my storage. And uh, I'd love, um, can we put the other slide up, Stephen, the one of the phone just before it? I'd love you to just take a look at this, if you can see it. Um, we use this in the all-age service as well. I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time on my phone, probably too much time, uh, if I'm really honest. And I have a lot of apps on my phone and on my, uh, on my iPad, as many of us do. And they, you keep adding them, don't you? Thinking, oh, I need that one, I need that one. But their advice in the Apple shop was that I need to actually take some off uh, uh, or increase my storage. And when we look at this, I don't know if you can see the words on it, but I want you to just think about the hours in your day that you would put in each of those boxes. How many hours? Do you spend sleeping, for example? Uh, some of us would say, well, I'd love more of that. Some of us might say, well, I'll get my eight hours in, whatever. But uh, perhaps the average is about seven or eight hours. How much time would we spend eating? You don't have to tell anyone that, but there will be times when we eat a little bit more, a little bit less, but our time will be taken up with that, and some of that is social. How much time do we spend working, hours in our day that we do that? How much time do we spend on our phones? Now, I think most of us will probably underestimate how much time we spend uh, actually looking at our phones or our devices or our tablets. How much time on TV, travel, exercise, social media, leisure, family, friends, and then in a little polka dot there at the bottom, we've put God. Now, we are not saying in that that that's a separate thing from all those others because God spills into the whole of our life, doesn't he? When we're eating together, he spills into that if it's fellowship and if it's worship. When we're working, we do it as for the Lord. We worship as we're working. All of that life is blended, but how much time do we set apart? Because that's what that final app is about. How much time do we say, God, this is just for you and me. This is for silence, this is for solitude, this is for study, uh, this is for relationship with God. Well, we're all aware at Riverside this year, going through the spiritual disciplines, that guilt can easily trip in at this point, and we're probably all thinking, oh, I don't think I spend enough time or whatever. But the joy of this adventure that we're on this year is that our appetites can change, and our habits can change. We were getting the kids in the all-age service to try porridge and spinach and saying, actually, these things might not taste good now, but when we're in training and we keep on, they build vitamins in us. They build stuff in our storage, if you like, that is good. And the passage we're looking at in the New Testament might not be an obvious one to think, oh, yes, of course, we're going to be still and I know that I am God. We'll go straight to Galatians. But I have found it really enlightening looking at the changed life of the Apostle Paul. How did he change? Yes, he had this amazing experience, if you don't know the story, on the Damascus Road when he was off to destroy the people in Damascus, to obliterate the Christians in Damascus. He has this incredible encounter with Jesus, saying, I am the one that you're persecuting. Does he straight from that 
go into loads of debates and conversations. We read in this passage, no. He goes and actually has time out of relationship with everyone else, just with God. And it is in that stillness, it's in that solitude that actually transformation happens. So much so that people say, who's got to, to, who's got to you? You know, is it the other Christians? Who's persuaded you? And he says, no, it's been the persuasion of the Spirit in me. It's been God himself that has convicted me nobody else. We have got this that you can download on our website if you would like, like me, to actually, when you do look at your phone, to have stop, breathe and be still come up on your phone. You can actually go on there and put it down as a wallpaper and you can have that uh, on your phone. I will be doing that. And I think that will be good for all of us, that when we look at our phone, maybe first thing in the morning, whatever, that we just get that stop, breathe, be still. And that might be a discipline that we'll just do for a minute, or it might be something that you do regularly for much longer than that. But we're all in training, and we're all on different parts of the journey. And we all have different personalities. In the all-age service, we did a line all the way from that side of the hall to that side of the hall about whether we like being on our own with no other people around over here, or whether we like being surrounded all of the time by loads of people. And if we were to do that now, we would be at completely opposite ends, and some of us would be in the middle, I was about in the middle, um, just saying, actually, you know, we're different people. But that does not mean, and I've learned this the hard way, by the way, that doesn't mean we get away with it. Because what we could say is, oh, hello, I'm an extrovert, I can't do solitude, sorry, I can't really do silence, I've got time, I'm an activist, I've got to keep going. Because we look at the person of Jesus, and we look at Paul in the New Testament, and we think they were very different characters. I mean, Paul is an activist, isn't he? He had so much in his head, so much learning as a scholar, a Jewish scholar, that he needed to go away. And the Spirit of God to make a change in him, almost to not empty himself of that, but actually to receive mercy. He knew the law, but it was mercy and grace that was revealed in his time out. And I think when you and I are tough on each other, one of the things God says is, I was longing to give you something. It's not a blame culture. He'd just say, Judy, you missed out today. You missed out because I had something for you. I had some strength for you if we overlook it. So do put that if that's going to be helpful for you. David Kuntz, uh, a few years ago, did a, a kind of research study on the art of stopping and how in busyness and hurriedness we all need it. And this is what he says, inherent in stopping is the idea of creating enough space in your life, whether for 30 seconds or 40 days, to make sure that you have the first things first, that you're not so distracted that you lose those moments of meaning in life whatever else you may be in the process of gaining. And I love that last bit, because we think, oh, but, but I've got to do this, or I've got to read this, I can't stop. But actually, he's saying, actually, when we do stop, when we are still, that actually God has a gift. John Stott says that Paul went into Arabia for quiet and solitude. It was in this period of withdrawal, the gospel of grace was revealed in all of its fullness. And then Paul was convinced, 
And nothing would shake him, would it, after that? I mean, you just think all the things he went through with shipwreck and prison, all of that. How does he do it? But I believe a lot of it was birthed here. Look at Jesus. In Luke 6, we have a typical day in the life of Jesus. In the morning, he gets up. Before it's dark, he goes out and he prays in a quiet place. He then chooses the 12 disciples in that day. And then at the end, he goes to a quiet place. That's the rhythm of his day. And that's the way that he was able to choose those motley crew that were the apostles that actually would become so reliant on that rhythm uh, in their different personalities. If we are extrovert and introvert, if we read the Bible, we will see that it's full of different personalities that all had their ways of encountering God in silence and solitude. Different ways. You know, whether it's Moses, whether it's Elijah, whether it's Elisha, they all had their encounters. They didn't have the choice to just say, oh, sorry, I'm an extrovert, I can't do the wilderness or I can't do the desert. We will all need to be there. I can say this, and some of you know this, because I am a retreat runaway. Yes, I confess it. I ran away from a retreat in the night. Um, and left a stiletto boot behind, which my brother-in-law had to go and claim because I was too embarrassed to go back there. Um, I absolutely hated it. And friends here had paid for it. It was very embarrassing. I rang Lois Cuthbert and said, I'm just not able to do this. I'm terrible. It was silent. They were playing Rachmaninoff. It was cold. It was dark. They wanted me to feed chickens. I'm just telling you how bad it was for me. And I hated it. And I thought, oh, that's it, I, I've failed. I failed at retreating, I'm no good at it. But God doesn't let me off any more than he lets any of us off. We all find our way. Interestingly, this won't surprise you at all, but I found going to Spain to a retreat place there has helped me enormously. <laughs> I know, I don't know what's, what's going on there. It's certainly warmer. But, um, when I went there on my sabbatical last year for um, the best part of a week, actually, God met with me in those silent afternoons in an incredible way that was very, very deeply effective for me. And in an area of my life where I was still living with quite a lot of pain, God broke through. And I was doubting his voice to the point where I thought, oh, I've just made that up. You know, when you're sitting in silence and I had this picture and it was of a sunflower that had once been bowed down and was now radiant and standing tall. And I felt the Lord say, Judy, you are radiant, you are learning, you are growing, you are healed from what you've been through. And I, I walked into the chapel after that time, just to, we were told to just go there and put a bit of paper in a basket. And I looked and there on the tapestry, in front of the cross was a whole tapestry of sunflowers looking upwards. And in that, in that stillness, for an extrovert, for someone who's fairly activist and likes to be busy, it was a huge moment for me. But it was done in a quiet place. No one's words could have persuaded me. Does that make sense? And in the same way with Paul, it wasn't about words. Even as a scholar, as an activist, it wasn't about that. In verses 15 and 16, but when God, by his grace, chose to reveal his son in me, I did not consult any man. It was that time away. And this is happening over quite a span. You know, we can, we can read Pine. He says, oh, after three years, <laughs> I moved on. This is not happening quickly. It's happening over time. Um, a friend who is here, actually, I, I asked once, do you think I'm too busy 
And he said, no, I don't actually, but I think you're often in a rush. <laughs> you need friends like that, don't we, who are going to say that to us. And I thought, how true that is, that actually hurry can rob us, sometimes even more than busyness. Paul was a busy person, but he didn't hurry. And the same with Jesus. Ortberg says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Still learning. Perhaps the most serious aspect of hurry sickness is a damaged capacity to love. You know, when I sit with my dad, who's 90 this year and has uh, quite profound um, trouble with Parkinson's, there's not a lot that happens now. You know, it's quite tough, and I dash in, hi, Dad, you know, thinking, well, I've got 20 minutes to catch up with him. And all he wants to do is sit and sometimes try and speak, sometimes not, sometimes just sort of sit and hold my hand or whatever. But that's what he needs. And for a rusher like me, the, the thing is to almost think, well, I've made an appearance, he knows I care, He's, you know, I've, I've given him a hug, I've given him a present or chocolate or whatever he wants, and then to rush off. But relationship for all our lives, hurry will rob us if we can't have this stillness and this actually settling down with people. Even when perhaps we don't feel we're receiving anything back, we are communing and it's the same with us and God. So why don't we do it more? What are our barriers to silence and solitude? Fear. You know, what if I sit and look God in the face and he doesn't like me very much? What if he's cross? Those lies, and they are lies, because God is saying, I was just waiting to be with you, waiting to Paul. What does Paul get? Bear in mind, he's a murderer on his way to commit more murder. And what does he receive in silence and solitude? Mercy. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? That's what he receives. He doesn't receive judgment, interestingly. It's the mercy he receives that changes him first. And then he obviously lives out uh, the gospel of grace and, and righteousness. Hurry drivenness and our personalities they can either be an excuse or a barrier or we can say actually teach me what it looks like for me uh, something that's helped me um, is a book by Gary Thomas um, I think it was Lois that recommended it a while ago sacred pathways finding your personality and what retreating can look like for you so that you don't run away in the middle of the night <laughs> that you get it right for you and you find your rhythm in it you find actually what works in your life. If you want to borrow that or uh, have a look at it, it's Gary Thomas, um, Sacred Pathways. Um, just looking at the passage a little bit more, there are three interesting things that happen over the period that Andy read about. The first is, after his time out with God, Paul went to Damascus. That was a brave move. He went to the very place where he was going to destroy the Christians there. That's a pretty bold move for anyone. So what did he receive? He received courage. He received enough boldness, if you like, to go there. Then after three years, he went to Jerusalem, where he was called and seen a deserter of the faith. And he went to face up to them. Why? Because he was convinced. He was convinced and he was able to say, it's God's mercy that has found me. And then farther, he went to Syria and Cilicia where Tarsus was. And we know that when he was Saul, he was Saul of Tarsus. He went to the very place where he was brought up. And all those who really knew the old Saul saw the new Paul. 
And out of that, everyone must have been absolutely flabbergasted. If you think of a person that you know who you've seen the most change in, and I can think of a few people over the years, it is incredible when a dramatic conversion happens, yes, but it is also a beautiful thing when we see transformation that happens over time and time and time again. And people can look back and think, I'm not there yet, but actually I've come a long way from where I was. And a lot of that will be achieved in silence and stillness. Not all of it, we need to be with each other, we need to be on the journey together. But as we try this, maybe as we all put that on our phones this week, maybe even we plan in our diaries. I don't know about you, but I have to plan things, otherwise I react to whatever's going on around me. You know, why not plan an hour, or a half an hour, or a quarter minute run, or a quarter, a quarter minute run, that's the sort of run I do, a quarter minute, <laughs> a bit of an expert here, that's probably enough for me for one day, um, quarter of an hour, you know, walk, a run, whatever it is, and just say, God, this is going to be me and you. It's still silence and it's still solitude. If you need that activity, there's nothing wrong with that. God can still meet you when you're running. He can do it with all of us. I'm going to close and we're going to have a time of, of stillness and silence to follow. But Towser says this, the whole transaction of religious conversion has been made mechanical and spiritless. We've almost forgotten that God is a person and therefore relationship can be cultivated through being alone with him as with any person. If you think of the people that you love most in your life, what a joy it is, on a good day anyway, to just have time, just with them. To learn about their likes, their history, their passions, their interests, or to sit in silence with them. Equally beautiful things. And it's the same with us and God, that actually he just wants us to try this. Now, for some of you, you've been doing it a lot longer than I have, and you'll probably be a lot better at it than me. But it is not something that we either opt into or out of. We just say, God, here's my personality. You've made me like this for a reason. Show me what it, what it looks like for me. And I believe as we go into our life groups and as we go into our community groups and triplets and discuss this, we will say it looks very different for each of us but it will always bring about change. The greatest breakthroughs that happen for Jesus happen even when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, in that moment of stillness where he gets just enough strength to go through with the crucifixion. How does he do that? He pours his heart out and just says, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Those moments, those sacred, beautiful moments,